fucked up some podcasts <laughs> dude in fact if i don't do this right out of the get-go i will forget so i go two and i go nice dude yeah got it i used to get always get in trouble for doing that when i used to run the podcast for, for the performance podcast for softly i would like do the clap yeah yeah and they're like why are you clapping for it messes up i was like that's my start point bro yeah like, well if you're if you're syncing things it's important yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for sure Huh. Well, fuck. Um, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, George Briones, also known as Friend Jorge. Friend Jorge, one of another the, the <laughs> amigo other brown, Jorge, <laughs> the other brown folk that's in this space. Hell yeah, <laughs> dude! I do not have an agenda. I haven't thought about what we're gonna chat about. Anything like that? What are you? Uh, what are you feeling? I don't know, man. I the last time I was in here, I think we recorded Endurance is Love. Oh shit! That is was that the, how long ago it was? Yeah, that was the last time I recorded endurance. Was endurance was love or endurance is love? No kidding. Yeah. Fuck. That was um, when was that? That was two twenty one. Yeah. And then we didn't drop it until twenty two. It took a full year to drop. Yeah, because I think well, we're, yeah, we're talking about the concept hit on endurance, but when I was writing the manual, and then it took a year to basically finish that concept yeah. in the manual. That was kind of bananas. Uh, we could do something similar. Yeah, dude. I mean, um, we've been jamming out about strength lately. Yeah. And you've been messing with uh, a lot of jujitsu and some high-level jujitsu players and applying, like, your strength and conditioning background. Do you want to start out by just bitching about how shitty the strength and conditioning field is? <laughs> <laughs> sure, let's do it. Let's, like, start by ranting as fucking terribly as possible, and then we'll get into what the fixes are. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. I think it's great. I think it opens up. and. I guess we need to, we need to highlight what the problem is. Um, yeah, you go first. I, so, <laughs> so for the past year, I've been able to uh, work with um, some some world champion black belts, Felipe Andrew, yeah, Melisanto, yeah. and Leticia, yeah. and which is his wife, um, down at Delmar Jiu Jitsu Club. And you know, when I first met them and they came in, oh, they were just in pain and injured. Oh, really? Yeah, like low back, shoulders knees ankles just quality of life was super low mm -hmm. and that's the issue i think for me that i realized was that these individuals are so focused on the peak of the apex and never focusing on the foundation yeah yeah for sure. and and realistically like that makes sense right like when you're at that level like you're at the top of the peak mm -hmm. but how long can you really stay there uh yeah it's like well how long can a knife be sharp 100 percent, and you have to sharpen that knife uh-huh so where do you go to sharpen the knife? Well, if you run out of metal, there's nowhere to sharpen it with. Correct. Yeah. So the idea is to create more metal, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. There it is. Fuck, I think you solved the problem. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All right, how do we get metal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you build metal? Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, coming from the tactical professional world as, as, as a Ricondo, mm -hmm. um, that was a big piece for me. That was one of those things where coming back from Afghanistan, we were at such a high intensity, such at a high peak, but before getting to Afghanistan, I had already done a deployment, mm -hmm. I had a lot of accumulation of volume of gunfighting, 
reps behind the behind the rifle, mm-hmm. a lot of patrolling stuff, and that really helped to handle the peak at that intensity for seven months in Afghanistan mm-hmm. in 2010. And whoever was out there in 2010 and Trek now and Sanging know that 2010, it was gangster Free as for all. fuck. Yeah, there was fun. no ROEs. Yeah. It was like yeah. anything that moved, you're fucking shut. You're, you're, you're dead. Yeah, the big boy rules didn't really kick into effect yet, right? No, they did, but with what we were doing at that time and moment, we needed to remove those rules and we had to maintain principles that allow for us to survive. Yeah. And I guess I never understood that rules are a th- don't really matter. It's more of the principles. Yeah. It's always baffled me just as a concept to like, you know, we've, we've agreed that we're going to kill each other. Yeah. Like we've agreed that this is worth like sending people and I'm say each other, not like I was involved in it, but as like a representation of America, we've decided that we're going to risk our lives in order to kill your lives until somebody's like, okay, I've had enough. It's like a, a thing. And right. then the rules are like, well, you can't use this caliber of bullet. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just decided that we're going to kill each other. Yeah. And that now suddenly there's these like, it, it's almost like fucking insanity to me. It's um the way that it felt for us. Cause like when we inserted into Afghanistan, June 16, 2010, we inserted with 110 pound rucks, full sappy gear, yeah. shooter's kit, helmet, everything. And the idea was, hey, we're gonna be in on this mission for 30 days, so you gotta carry everything on your back. That's what <laughs> recons do. Yeah. That's what recon, yeah, recon yeah. marines do, right? Yeah. You, you live out of your ruck, you patrol back and forth. And what we realized right away was those those rules and those SOPs were actually gonna make us combat ineffective right away within the first 20 what's, what's minutes. What's the SOP? Standard operating procedures. Oh, yeah, okay. And that will, right away from the, from us exiting that bird at 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yo, guys, I just stepped into three feet of like mud and I'm unable to like <laughs> patrol at the speed that we're going to. I'm stuck. Straight up. Like, you're like, well, I'm the fourth dude coming out of the bird as the art because of the reconnaissance communicator. I was the, the main communications chief for the platoon. Yeah. And you're just like, of course, this is what would happen. In, in a combat situation, but luckily we trained for it over the past however many years to make it happen. You know, we we're supposed to move 1,600 meters to a blocking position, then to set up and then make sure we interdict whatever. But that 1,600 meters has taken like, what, a couple hours? It would. It, we only got to move actually 800 meters in three hours because of the <laughs> fact that all of the fields were fucking flooded for farming. No shit. Correct, yeah. But then we also had these canals that we had to move across and they're anywhere between three to five to six to nine feet wide that either had like this two foot wooden board that would go across or you had to jump across it. Now the depth of that canal, <laughs> with a hundred pounds, with a hundred pounds on your hundred pounds on your back and you're patrolling as a platoon or as a team, which consists anywhere between seven to eight to nine guys on the team, depending on attachments mm-hmm. right away. SOPs go out the window because of the fact now we're on the ground we know exactly what it looks like and we now have to move from point a to point b to set up this blocking position position before the sun comes up okay <laughs> this sucks that's frustrating a hundred percent yeah and we did area reconnaissance where you know we had helicopters come over take video imagery to see what the area looked like but that doesn't give you really that much it's information not the same, yeah, it's, it's not the same thing of being on the ground it's not in the area that we were inserting into no one had actually been there in almost multiple 
rotations because uh, whenever someone actually in, inserted in there, they had to get pulled out because it was the hornet's nest of the Taliban. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So they were pushing into Marja, coming back, rest mm-hmm. and refitting, pushing into Marja. And the way I like, to, I like to call it was it was the resort of the Taliban, dude. This is where homies, these guys did all the drugs, hung yeah. out, clean weapons, ate their food, did whatever they wanted to do, do whatever the Taliban does. Yeah. Well, hey, let's go ahead and send 1st Recon Battalion down there and let's just go fuck up the hornet's nest and just see what happens. But we're going to drop you off in the middle of nowhere in there and you're going to figure it the fuck out. Yeah, Great. Rock on. I mean, at that time, so what you said this is like 2000, 2010. 2010. So uh, in your, obviously you weren't into fitness coaching yet, but you no. had a firm understanding of physicality at this point or nothing? Or this is like, this is kind of like this you figuring was, it out. This is actually what got me into understanding okay. human performance physicality yeah. and the psychology of it. Because you're like, this sucks walking in the mud. How the fuck? Not like I, you're exhausted, right? Essentially. hundred percent. And you're carrying 110 pounds. How are you thinking about it at this time as a, as a physical problem? Were you like, man, boot camp really prepared me for this? Or were you like, what the fuck? There was nothing to prepare me for it physically, okay. right? In that moment, now I can go ahead and if we sure. had to go back into that world, I could totally make it happen, which I have done over the past 13 years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it, you, you just adapted on the fly. Mm-hmm. Right, like you just adapted on the fly and made it work. So instead of moving sixteen hundred meters within a three-hour period, we only moved eight hundred meters. But as the universe mm-hmm. likes to work with us, I like to say there was a good thing we didn't actually get to our main blocking position because then we would have been in a gunfight, probably from here to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, in the mud, <laughs> in the mud, behind these berms, in in a hundred and ten degree weather. Yeah. <laughs> And your full sappy 110 pound ruck <laughs> sucks, dude. Like, and when I share these stories, like mm-hmm. as we're talking about them, I get looks of like, "There's no way that really happened." I'm like, "You don't believe me? Go ask all the other 100 dudes in battalion who experienced this exact same thing I'm talking about." I'll tell, like, I believe you because I understand government planning. There, and it I understand. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> if you've ever said this is this is why. My my first idea when everybody thinks there's like a cabal of like, you know, underground mischievous politicians leaking together with like government officials to like ruin people's lives. I'm like, have you ever seen them plan road work? Yeah. Like these are not like these are not super geniuses. And a lot of the times like none of the shit works. You're like, yeah. you think 9-11 was an inside job? Like I get that it was weird and there's weird shit about it. But also nobody's that smart. Like yeah. humans are not, we can't even figure out how to coordinate like, you know, the most basic shit. We really can't. We can't figure out what fucking health is as a definition. Well, and that's the issue, dude, is like we make war very complex when it, it's really not. At the end of the day, that like when I actually started understanding what we had to do out there, we no longer were patrolling with 110 pound rucks. Oh, yeah. We now were patrolling with a 45 pound ruck or a yeah. day pack that just needed, just it was the essentials that we needed to survive. Yeah. But at that time and moment, we inserted on June yeah. 16, 2010. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had mortar rounds in my ruck. I had radio batteries. I had, I think I had, oh, fuck, how many quarts of water I had? I think, I think it was like 10 or not 10, yeah. like it was less. It was, it was quite, it was, yeah. it was a high number for what you wouldn't be carrying on a normal patrol. Yeah. But it was because of the fact that our higher ups were like, hey, you're going to be out there for 30 days. We're not sure if we're going to be able to resupply you. Yeah. It's a suicide mission, guys. Just let you know this. Yeah. Like writing your own obituary two days before inserting. Do you think um, like now that you look at it, because maybe a lot of people, obviously a lot, there's a lot of vets that would like be like, yep, that's what he's talking <laughs> about. And they'll totally be heading on you. But some people that don't understand when we're talking about the like physical side 
of war fighting or, or the preparation for war fighting. What I hear you saying to me is the same thing that I heard in, in a lot of different sports, which is like, man, if I had a 700 pound deadlift, I would be a really good fighter. Or like, you know, you yeah. start like you're over preparing shit that does not matter, Correct. which eventually leaves you under prepared for stuff that does matter. Yes. And, and, and that was the big piece. I, I feel like I, I kind of was able to observe, yeah. you know, as I've, distance myself and and have grown from that and that's been a big piece of my like upbringing as a performance coach or a strength and conditioning coach or whatever it is we want to name it is that idea of like no we need to focus on what actually matters mm -hmm. and what is the most effective what, what was the first thing you like tried to fix like what like for having that experience and obviously being like oh man this is di obviously like you have to trust people that told you certain things Correct. but once you realize that that was not helpful and actually probably put you in a worse situation for your actual survival what what's your first thought on how to fix these things get rid of load <laughs> <laughs> not get stronger get rid of load yeah like become more efficient because the, again the load that we had on our back slowed us down yeah yeah and that that is like speed kills Correct. Yeah. Right. And that was the first thing. And the second big piece of that is the, 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 the psychological side piece of it. Right. Like, am I able to be flexible enough from a psychological perspective to make these adjustments on the fly? Mm -hmm. So, for example, how do we cross this canal that's five feet wide, six feet deep and potentially is even deeper that, than that with water yeah. and might have IEDs in it? And if uh, someone falls into it, we are now mission, our, our mission is fucked. We're incapable to operate. Now we have to focus on getting this dude out. Yeah. And then what are we supposed to do? Hmm. So like the first big thing was, is like, all right, how do we become faster on the ground in an area that we've never operated in so that we can still maneuver, communicate well, and, and, and shoot and kill for, for lack of a better term, mobility becomes a limitation. Correct. And that's literally what it is, right? It's, yeah. it's mobility, it's a movement mobility aspect. Which is funny because when I look at like a foundational problem for most people to come in, mobility is the limitation, right? Yeah. right? It's not strength, it's not endurance, it's not any capacity. It's like mobility is limiting you to the true expression of what you're trying to do. Yes. So hmm. I guess let's let, bring it back to the main question is like, hey, like what is the problem I see in the BJJ world mm -hmm. now? It is this this quality of life is hindering your ability to move properly, to move freely, <laughs> to move in a way and express your athleticism. Yeah, like that was the biggest piece that I found with a lot of these individuals and the individuals I worked with and I trained with. You know, and like, well, how are you so athletic? How do you move so well for a white belt? Or how do you move so when you only just started doing this? And so, like, well, I understand movement. I yeah, understand yeah. how to move correctly. I've been working on it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. This is the reason why. And you know, for me, I look at it from a perspective of biomechanics is a thing, right? We, mm -hmm. we know that, and I don't think a lot of coaches look at that, right? Oh. It, it, unless we're in or a that's room. that, Or that's the only thing they only look thing at. Only thing they yeah, look yeah. at. Mm -hmm. But again, biomechanics is only in a lab setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. How do you apply the, the, the lab setting biomechanics to a real world situation? I mean, well, experience is gonna be the first thing, because you, you have to recognize like, you know, it's basic physics, but then the life part of it does come into play. Yeah. So how, how are you looking at, when you're looking at, you come from, you know, you obviously have a background in like traditional strength and conditioning. Correct. How how are you looking at the gaps applying, you know, auxiliary training to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I think, I think the way that I, I would look at the, the auxiliary training to the supplementation mm -hmm. of, of that to Jiu-Jitsu is the first thing is getting them out of pain. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like that's the first thing. And the reason why I, I say that is because if I can get them out of pain, it actually makes them more confident to perform their sport. Yeah. You're not protecting. You're not protecting anymore. And I, that was the big piece, right? Like how many times is, have you talked to someone who has been doing this sport for 10, mm-hmm. 15 years and they're like, I just don't play that position no more because my back hurts or because yeah. it hurts my knee. Yeah, they've changed their game. They changed yeah. their game. And so now they have actually changing their body. Correct. Yeah. To where now their game used to be this very omnidirectional style game. And now it's become very much more singular focused because that's the only thing they can do. And it's really shocking that people can be good enough that they have so many limitations that they can still funnel the best people in the world into their game where they aren't having pain. But that's experience. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. Like yeah. that's just repetition after repetition. That's that's inc- that's volume of experience in yeah. that manner. And working with Felipe and Mel and Leticia, you know, they're already world champions. They've been world champions yeah, before, yeah. right? And like, it's like, okay, cool. What what are you guys doing for strength conditioning? You know, and a lot of them at, at that time and moment, not very much. Yeah, the sport probably. It was just yeah. their sport, right? And like, yeah, Felipe has a background in parkour, bro. Yeah, yeah. Like he used to be a parkour kid growing up. Yeah. Like the dude just moves really well already. Yeah. But he also has wear and tear from doing the sport. Yeah. Mel shoulder injuries like crazy, which actually didn't didn't allow her to perform at the level she wanted to at Worlds in twenty one or mm-hmm. twenty two because of her shoulder injury, mm. and that was a big piece. There was another athlete named Dose, Masters athlete. She had knee pain and, and MCL and 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 all of the craziness in the knees and she ended up having to make sure that her game was only to one direction. Yeah. And like, that sucks. It does. I I think, and do you know what sucks to watch too, is to see, um, I don't even know what to call it. Let's call it an old wave of strength and conditioning coaching, which gets validated through major sports like NFL, NBA. Mm -hmm. It's all of this. I, I think it's mostly garbage now when you see it. It's like, this is like, utter bullshit that yep. people are like putting people through and they're finally setting their sight on BJJ because BJJ is growing phenomenally fast fast right now you know the athletes are becoming world class uh in notoriety not just like perform they've always you know performed at a high level even you look back at you know even even early 2000s jiu-jitsu was insanely yeah. fucking crazy yeah. uh, people are doing you could use that game and you would still be very, very good today. yeah and but it has evolved quite a bit and I think with that comes the need where people go, oh, this is a real sport. Mm-hmm. And so like we need to, you know, we need a strength and conditioning thing. And the first thing that you'll get is like, you got to lift weights. Correct. You got to, you know, you know, condition the same. And the weird thing is like, I see it now. This sounds really weird. And it took me a while to pinpoint because I heard this originally when we were studying like traditional forms of an SNC and applying them. You know, we, we used to stick to all the rules because it's what the best schools of thought were you know we would protect skill work by putting up front that was just a certain law there was the law of specificity that says you know the 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 advancement that you make in a motor unit is very specific to the the movement that you do therefore you like this is where the wrong practice comes snc traditionally will like (laughs) put a vest on you and tell you to run because load equals resistance and resistance equals like dynamic uh, effort or whatever and you're like you, that what you don't realize is that the law of specificity is much more clear than that yeah. it, it isn't about loading resistance on and then the law of accommodation is kind of what balances that yeah which is like 
uh, if, if you do something too much, eventually you become bad at doing that thing. Right. But it's interpreted differently in the SNC world. So now that I look at it, you got, you know, I, there are some famous guys now, even just recently in the past couple of weeks, I've seen some guys in the West Coast, uh, you generally known for their like football coaching. They're putting people like BJJ players at a very high level, get, you know, connected with them and they're, they're doing fucking basically the conjugate program in relation to their BJJ. And it's not that that's necessarily bad, no. um, but it is rarely directly fixing the problem that these guys face. It's just like loading a different kind of stress that's almost not transferable all to the mat. Yeah. You're like the advantaged position that you would see in a deadlift, a power clean, a squat or whatever, uh, that's a very finite movement. Like it has almost no transferability. And yeah. I tried to explain this to uh, me and Keegan were actually talking about this the other day. I think I mentioned it. It was like, to, this is how specific the body is. You know, I, I can train myself to a very like high degree of capability with like a back squat. Anybody can, you know, anybody can like change their biomechanics to have an advantaged uh, position in, in order to express that movement to a very high degree. And then they can use progressive overload to train that to a system so they can express a very heavy back squat. And people who don't know would be like their quote unquote strong. Correct. But you move that bar four inches forward and it doesn't, you can't lift it anymore. Correct. Right. You drop what? fucking 50 yeah, 40s 40, something yeah. yeah something like 50 percent off so from a front squat to uh or sorry from a back squat to a front squat you lose 40 percent of your expressive ability now that's still a unilateral movement and it's still the same pattern but that's how specific training an organism is you move that bar overhead and you lose probably 90 percent off of your thing untrained now you can get them all up but still what we're talking about is three domains that might be individually progressed but when i lay on my back and i push somebody off with one leg i don't have even a iota of that transferability and i've just wasted how many hours a day and how many weeks and months of progressing this and risking how much injury in order to quote unquote get strong that is where I see the big mistake. Well, and that goes back to getting someone out of pain, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I have someone express strength from sitting in a, in a, in a guard position mm -hmm. when they're playing on their back, mm -hmm. right? Like doing a back squat and you're still in pain in the back squat makes no sense to do the back squat. Yeah, you're reinforcing a, a, a non-mobile spine. A hundred percent. So the idea for me was, all right, well, I need to get them out of pain, but how do we get them out of pain though? And and <laughs> Can you imagine, can you imagine like, going to arm bar somebody and being like, hold on, I need to get into neutral spine. <laughs> they're like, okay. <laughs> I need to brace this way or hold on, wait a minute. I need to set my shoulder because I'm getting ready to bench press. Bro, let me put on my special shoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And and so like the, the first big piece was quality of quality of life, right? Yeah. Like this idea to go ahead and get them out of pain, increase their ability to handle more stress. Right, because again, these individuals are already so stressed out from doing jujitsu because it's been all they've done. And really, if you train the same exact way as some other people across the board, what are the results? Pretty much very similar. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like that's kind of the way I look at it. So for me, when I started working with these individuals, first it was like, all right, what's the risk over reward? Mm -hmm. Right, because I'm working with world champion athletes. Yeah. And I do not want to break them. I do not want to be the catalyst that takes yeah. them out from doing their game. The first rule is do no harm. 
hundred percent. And how many people actually look at it from that perspective? Fucking nobody, because they want to be. Everybody wants to be the guy who made the world champion even better. Correct. Right. Especially if you can jump on the back of like somebody who's already won something, and may, this happens often. Like world champ, especially jujitsu, it's very finicky. I, I had a conversation with Lucas Lapri about this. How he was like, you know, if he only understood what he, because he had a very bright start and then man he struggled to get back to that level because i think a lot of people falter and he talked about that man what i knew now i would have just flown with it and so people look a lot especially in our field of strength and conditioning you you got in this field because you want to work with like some you want to work with talent you want to yeah. see like you want to see human capability you know up front and center and be responsible for it and help it yeah. And in doing so, you don't re recognize that you're risking a lot by like trying to change a world champion. Yeah. Right. And, and I'll be honest with you, man. I didn't take credit for her stuff until a year after, until after a year of working with him. Yeah. Getting some results. Getting some results. And the results was the world championships. Yeah. Where he, where Felipe Mel went out there. And Leticia, like she, she took third, I believe. But mm -hmm. she also going into the world championships, she had a mental block. Mm. And that's the reason why I went back to the idea of mental conditioning. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, cool. Get him out of pain. But we have to increase mental conditioning. What's mental conditioning? The ability to have attention to apply a specific energy or output to be able to still fight, not just in one match, but multiple matches over one day and then recover again to mm -hmm. come do it the next day at a higher level because now you're at that world championship match. And I remember talking about this in the past where I shared this. I was like, I think a world championship competition at the black belt level is an ultra endurance race. Yeah, I, I really believe that now. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at like the ADCC trials, uh, Donaher talks about this all the time. You're like, um, if you lose, it's not round robin. You're out. Yeah. It's single. It's single elimination. Right. So like IBJJF worlds would be the same. same exactly. Um, you you need to win every match, which means every match is the most important match. Yep. Right. Everything you're putting on the line. But you also have to be like, well, if I make it through this, I, if I don't have anything left to burn or I injure myself during this, then the next match I'll have to you know, forfeit or lose or whatever. I'll be compromised if I don't take care of myself. So there, the endurance aspect of this is like taking care of your energy expenditure mm -hmm. while also putting out maximal effort Physic in the moment. From the physical yeah. aspect. Mm -hmm. So what I did when I first got pulled over there is I started watching all their matches. I went back and started watching how Felipe fought, how Mel fought and how, you know, TC mm. and how they fought. And one of the things I noticed was they weren't coming out with the, the, that exactly what you said. They weren't coming out with that headspace. It yeah. was very much, I'm going to go ahead and come out and be very warm and flow yeah. and kind of do whatever. Cause I got to save myself for the next match because I don't have the confidence to be able to do this over and over and over again. Yeah, they're physical, can't, but skill-wise, they, skill they could trash all day, people, right? Yeah. Like you, you do 10, 12 rolls at, you know, yeah. six minutes and one minute rest, or they're doing 10 minute rolls at seven rounds, you yeah. know? Yeah, we can do that, but that's not, you can't mimic competition in a gym setting. Just no. the same way as you yeah. can't mimic real war fighting yeah. in a training environment. Yeah, we talk. I mean, I talk about the speed a lot. I, I've actually felt this a lot on the uh, when I went down to nationals um, for IBJJF, and it's like it's something I knew. I talked to you know my coaches about it. I talked to Josh Tyler about it, and I go, man, I this is going to be like a crapshoot because I haven't felt the speed. Now we roll hard. I mean, you felt it today yeah. when we went to go roll. You like you roll really hard. It's not the fucking same thing. <laughs> Somebody grabs your collar and you're like, oh, I haven't felt this in a while. Like, you know, like this person, oh, he's choosing violence. Yeah, this person is <laughs> trying to fucking hurt me. Like yeah. for reals. Yeah. 
And that intensity, the self-protective mechanisms, you're overgripping, you're overexpending just in order to hold on. If you're not used to that competitive pace, uh, you're out, you know, and, and, and I kind of knew my aggression was going to be very low. I've been rolling, you know, for you're doing five minute rounds, but for two hours, yeah. you know, the pace is different. And my training, when I look at my training, my conditioning, I'm like, yeah, we do long pieces, 30, 40, 50, 60 minute long pieces. Uh, the IBJJF like rule set, you know, depending on where you're ranked, you're like, you know, anywhere from like six to 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah that's right. The window. And it comes out so fast and so hard. And then people kind of blow up and then they hold and stalemate. And that is when, when the people are, you know, need to be the most aggressive is when they're the most fatigued. Correct. Which is where I really like lost mine because I was really starting to warm up near the end and I was down on an advantage point and lost. When if you would have gone another five minutes. Oh, it's a clear, yeah, he did not want to be there, correct. you know, but I lost legitimately because I was not training to what we call hole shotting in mountain biking, yeah. right? You're like, if we're going all headed towards single track, there's 200 riders it's a five minute sprint <laughs> into the single track into a 24 hour event or whatever. Correct. And that the, is a bad start, but you have to train that still. Yes. Uh -huh. That's a, That's an important piece. And I think that's the issue is like when we come back to mental conditioning, we have to look at energy system production, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it really comes from the mental side of the house drives the physiological responses. <laughs> Do you know how fucking, I mean, there's a, obviously a, a famous quote that goes along with this, but the second you redline and you're tired, man, you will tap so fast. Yeah. Right. You have like, you just don't have the energy. Even if you're like, this sucks this is humiliating. I shouldn't, I should fight. It's like the second you are so fatigued, you're in real risk, which is how you strategically kind of wear people down. Correct. You know, you wear them down, you get them fatigued. You kind of light less matches than them, as I would say. Yeah. And then you can have a huge advantage when attacking something. Yeah. I call it the sniper mentality. Hmm. I use it it's like, you know, as a sniper, you only carry a certain amount of rounds on you. Mm -hmm. and you sit in a side of hindsight and OP and you can't send all five rounds down. And that one time period, you yeah. have to be very strategic on how you send those rounds down. Yeah. You only have so many. You yeah. have only said so many. So that that was the big piece was like, all right, well, I need to increase mental conditioning. But how do we increase mental conditioning hmm. through physical conditioning? Yeah. Right. And yeah, I I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I have a I have a day where I call it Bulletproof Friday mm -hmm. and the fighters come in afraid of that day. Sure. Yeah. But not in a bad way. It's in a healthy way, right? They know like, you know, George is going to go ahead and put it on us, but in a very he healthy yeah. manner. How do you protect? Obviously, there's always going to be some risk involved uh, with, with um, especially high level athletes, because sometimes sometimes they're so competitive psychologically that you can't put them in bad positions where they can hurt themselves. Uh, what are the, some of the things taking that you're doing on like, say, a gym session where you're exploring yeah. capacity? What are the things that you're protecting their safety with? Um, I've used tailpipe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? Because of the fact the movement. It's hard to get hurt. Correct. Yeah. But what are we doing to them? Suffocating under load. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially when Mark came up with that, he was training Johnny and James for, you know, Abu Dhabi and uh, Masters Worlds. Correct. Yeah. So I use similar similar approaches that way. Mm -hmm. If I'm gonna be pushing you for 30, 40, 50 minutes or you know, these three, four, five rounds of 90 seconds going after it and you're holding, yeah. well, I need to go ahead and implement movements that are gonna go ahead and have the movement skill be low to where they can still apply it, but it's hard. it, it seems hard in their head. And we know duration over time becomes hard. How, 
Yeah. Do, do you, this, this is kind of the fundamental thing. This is very hard. You know, I go to my jujitsu gym. Some people will ask me questions about strength and conditioning sometimes, but uh, I try to avoid like mixing my job and doing what I do there. Cause whatever, I don't, you know, I don't totally want to get it mixed, but for the most part, I think the biggest thing, because people ask me, hey, okay, I started lifting. What should I do? And most of the time, I'm like, you should stop lifting. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, which, which, you know, they're like, what? Because the common perception is that I need load in order to express strength. Correct. But how I try to explain it, it's so hyper-specific that it's not going to do what you think that it does. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody has like you know, grappled with somebody just has like an insane grip or an insane strength to them. And most of the time they're not like, they're not power lifters. They're not weightlifters. They're like welders or they're like blacksmiths or, you know, they have like a labor job, they're farmers. And when you look at how that person develops that kind of ability, it's on a like, like a high variable plane is I guess the easiest way to put it, which means they're grabbing all sorts of different thicknesses and weights and, and different contraction rates. And that's how they develop it. It's just through exposure, but it's not formal training. Like, you know, blacksmiths aren't doing like five by five hammer hits. No. Right. But that'd be fucking cool to hear. Like, (laughs) I guess maybe, yeah, it it would be, it'd be interesting to explore, but that's not really. And this is where I get to the, like the formality. Uh, One of the biggest misconceptions that I see in strength and conditioning because people can read about this all day in fact if you just chat gpt the best you know strength and conditioning program for jujitsu it'll probably have something like you should back squat and deadlift and you should do five three one or whatever there's these rep set schemes it's like that is such a formality that literally has nothing to do with strength it does when we're talking about the best in the world preparing for a strength expression in a strength sport that's what those reps and sets are related to right because all of that stuff was mined from you know, Melsef taking the data from Olympic athletes doing basically Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting. And then he looked at how they programmed and went back and showed, hey, they would get big hypertrophy with this optimal rep range. And then they would get pure strength here and they would get neurological strength here. And then we have this graph and then people reverse engineered to build their stuff based off of that graph. But that is not how it actually works. And a lot of people miss how specific those things were designed. Right? Why did they use a barbell? Because their sport was a barbell. barbell. Yeah. That that's it. That's, that's the it. only thing. That was their tool. Yeah. And, and in BJJ, the tool is your body and yeah. your mind. Yeah, for sure. Like, and I, I don't, and I know everyone like, well, powerlifting. The the other tool is your body. And like, yes, but it's not. You're you're not using your body to express. <laughs> your, your, I'll put it this way. The barbell isn't trying to fucking choke you. Right? <laughs> Unless you're in a heavy front squat coming out of a heavy clean and you sure. caught it incorrect. Sure. <laughs> but there's not another human being that's on your back trying to get a cross collar choke or a bow and arrow choke for you in those moments. No. Right? You're not having to have to now implement strength to defend yourself. And now how do I get out of this position to now actually get into a better position that sets me up to get into an, an advantage to actually sweep or get my elbow to the ground and yeah. using my back to get my shoulder to the ground now here. And then potentially if he's going to try and take mount, I need to get to side control, like into that half guard position. Yeah. So this is an interesting concept that, and, and I've been uh, revising the strength menu. So it's been like kind of a hot, it's like everywhere I'm trying to like see where this thing is coming through because although I'm training like how I know how to train, a lot of the times explaining it is very hard to do for people. And what you just described was really interesting because one of the things that I noticed was uh, you mentioned the the mental conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so 
when people um, when people are looking to reduce their amount of fatigue, they haven't have an idea of what fatigue feels like. So we put them through these hot washes or whatever, and we allow them to conceptualize, feel, and adapt. Most of it is not physiological. Like very little of training is physiological. Right, and we used to say that the mind is primary as as like it's a conscious effort, but that's not what we mean necessarily. We're saying that like as you become inoculated to these sensations, they become normalized. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's not only that there's mitochondrial biogenesis or capillary network expansion or any of these like your VO2 max isn't going up necessarily. What is happening is you're just becoming used to the feeling, so you're able to express it longer and longer. Yep. Well, what that says to me is that the idea of fitness is the most important aspect of fitness. Your conception manifests your expression. Mm -hmm. And in strength, it's no different. So I can push, pull, deadlift, clean, run, jump better than probably 99% of the people that I roll with, right? 100%. That's fair. That's, that's, a, fair, that's a fair statement. Uh, I can't manhandle them, nope. right? Like, especially somebody my same size, I am stronger in the expression because my idea of the expression for a long time was different. But their idea of the expression in jujitsu is different, right? So defending um, a Kimura looks nothing like what I do in the gym. But their idea uh, of not wanting to get tapped or hurt is very strong, so their idea of strength expression is different. So I they can sometimes defend a Kimura better than I can, even though I am physically stronger in every kind of measurable aspect until I changed my idea of what strength was. And this is kind of the, uh, this is where the root of the problem I think exists most often is that laboratory strength or gym fitness or people who think, you know, they, they go, oh, we get people stronger and more conditioned. If they don't participate in the sport, they don't have an idea of what they're resisting. Yep. That is a huge component. And I'm sure like working with these guys, even though, you know, your rank is not necessarily like something to brag about in it, but at least you feel it and you go, oh, I know what it feels like. Yep. Therefore, we can realistically improve these things. hundred percent. And and for me, man, you know, you know how I've, I've been coming up in the, I've always looked for the... <laughs> the differentials within the space. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the same. I want to be unique and I want to have creativity when mm -hmm. I'm working with these individuals. And that was the biggest piece there was that, was that, was like, all right, how do I go ahead and get them to know that they're working hard inside the gym but still have the energy to still go and perform their their their, their sport, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times what happens is you will talk to some BJJ practitioners who are like, oh, I'm lifting weights and they're like, yeah, I'm just not, I don't have the energy to go train anymore. Yeah. Or it's like, I'm training really hard and I don't have the energy to go lift. So it was like, all right, well, by improving mental conditioning, allow for me to improve tolerance to handle stress. Yeah. Right, the resistance that you're talking about. And that's, for example, dude, I think um, the number was leading into Worlds for Felipe. He fought like 80 something times, dude, last year, leading into oh, Worlds. Only one loss and the only injury he had was a rib pop out. No shit. I swear, bro. I swear. Whoa. Yeah. And why? Be, and he's ranked number one in, in the heavyweight, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was up at there at the absolute as well. Yeah. I believe the fact and the reason why he 
wasn't injured, and I, and I want to go ahead and lead with that. And the reason why I believe he wasn't injured was because of the fact that he understood how to manage energy from a mental conditioning standpoint. He also improved all of the small things that he was doing outside of the jiu-jitsu, outside of the yeah. jiu-jitsu mat, yeah. as well as outside of the gym. Well, this is this comes back into like the arguments made for this is super outdated. And I think most people know, but maybe there's a couple of people that don't. Like, oh, you lose your gains if you do aerobic training. Obviously, we both understand that to be completely <laughs> bullshit. But the reason being is like a lot of people don't understand why. Yeah. why. Why would you aerobically train a strength athlete? They don't need to run 5K. They don't need to do this kind of deal. But the reason being is like you are a aerobic being mm. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Before you have any expression of strength, any expression of contraction rate, you have to process oxygen correctly. Correct. The more efficient at processing oxygen, the more efficient you are uptaking and producing ATP. Yep. Right. So, and that is responsible for the strength expression. Yep. I think the new model, if people want to look into this, uh, which I don't think a lot of people are onto, except like people at the fucking nerds at the top, the shunt model explains this perfectly, as opposed to the Krebs cycle kind of like showing that ATP and CP and all of these channels kind of fire off cascade wise. Mm -hmm. Well, the shunt model shows completing buckets over and over, they spill into each other. Yes. So therefore, the whole thing is dependent on oxygen utilization. Yes. Nothing can happen without oxygen, which brings us back to our aerobic nature. Yeah. And so the more capable you are with oxygen, the less fatigued you are, the more sets reps you can get, the more work you can yeah. get in, and the more aware, what I would say is like the more awareness you can put towards yeah. something. The thing that sucks about fatigue is it reduces your awareness. Yes. That's what makes it dangerous. 100%. Right? If you've been, you know, an ultra runner, you know, what happens when you become so fatigued now I'm tripping on pebbles? Right. You're and like, that's you're a, in danger. I mean, it's a neurological fatigue. It's yeah. not even a physiological fatigue. It, it might be, but it's yeah. more neurological. Yeah. I'm no longer feeling the oxygen utilization into that bucket no more. Yeah. It's because I'm now, I wouldn't say empty because it's, sure. it's not, but it's, and that was the big piece. So like leading into the mental conditioning, it was, all right, and this is something that Felipe would tell you all the time if he was sitting here, he was like, George says we're not doing conditioning today, but it feels like conditioning. Hmm. And the reason for that was because I understood that I need to go ahead and increase aerobic efficiency. Yeah. I mean, I needed you to make sure that your body processes oxygen more efficient so that you can recover faster. Hmm. So from the start of the session it got in, we just moved. It was from one movement to the next session to the next session. It was no stopping. It was like boom, 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 boom. Keeping that heart rate at that 120, 130 mm -hmm. beats per minute. You hit some strength work. We do some of these things. All right, cool. Now at the end of that session for 60 minutes, 75 minutes, his average heart rate or Mel's average heart zone, rate. Yeah, zone one, zone two. 100%. Yeah. And what are we building? Aerobic efficiency. And, and that was it. And we're also seeing strength put on. Yeah. But I'm not sitting there having him back squat five by five at and rest four minutes between. No, sets no, it wasn't that at all. It was like, all right, hey, guys, we're going to go ahead, jump on the bike, do some five to seven minutes blood flow work. You know, hey, every 20 seconds, sprint for 10 seconds, you know, whatever. Throw that in there. All right, hey, we come off now. Let's go into this dynamic warm up. Let's flow. Hey, we're going to do some movement work now. We're going to go ahead and do this thing. All right, hey, go grab some kettlebells or go grab some dumbbells or go grab that dump or that sandbag mm -hmm. and let's prep the system. Keep moving. All right. Hey, guys. All right, you might do a zercher squat, but guess what else you have impaired with this? Yeah, you might have um, some focus on another another movement that focuses on improving your jujitsu position. Yeah, I mean this has been kind of wild too, because now you know obviously we separate and delineate the systems because we need to be able to isolate just by definition. But in reality, nothing is separate; nope. it is all connected to it, itself, and so. 
oftentimes we'll see in like CrossFit as a sport, you'll see where people bastardize this and conditioning, you know, becomes the sole basically signal, right? right? Or the capacity becomes just ultimately what the sport is. So you hit it often and people can't understand how to separate it. But eventually, I think when you get this right, you have kind of like a spectrum of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our pieces that we do inside the gym, to me, they're like longer endurancey pieces, yep. right? Even if the distance, even though the length is like an hour, hour and a half, something like kind of not that good. But to an untrained person, that will feel devastating just because of the workload. They might be redlining in some of it because they're yeah. unable to control the state. So it just writing a workout doesn't define it. This is where the orchestration <laughs> comes in. Yeah. Where, right. You, like I can't just like write reps and sets and then somebody can get that sensation, which has a lot to do with what we talk about in here is like it's not the physiology is not so important. No. You know what I'm teaching? Um, I have a couple apprentices right now. And, and although we like, I wish people would learn the physiology because I think they need to, I, man, it's been a couple months and I haven't <laughs> shared what rep sets do what, because I think it's the least important part about mm -hmm. what's going on. The more important part for me, and it sounds like what you've done with these guys, especially with how you've described it, is the narrative of going into a session like yes. that. That the narrative is such an underlooked aspect. And the reason why, and I explain it in, in here kind of this way, I go, look, you could give somebody 25 sets of five, right? It could be completely wrong at 85%. They, they could, you know, everyone's gonna fail if they legitimately did that. But what's important is that when you stand up there and you explain what you're doing for the day, that you you sell them on your idea, yeah. right? Your story, your narrative. Mm -hmm. We're doing this because it's this. The more sensations and feelings and and kind of like arc that you give this, you know, you you tell them about the threshold. Here's where it's going to feel like this. This yeah. is where you're going to want to quit. This is where you know. But here's the result you'll get out of doing it. All of that could be completely made up, justified, whatever but it'll work better than something that is based off of data proven research that's dry and doesn't have character to it because people inherently are storytellers. Yes. Our whole existence is story. Strength and conditioning is no different. I need a story about what I'm trying to do. This comes back to kind of the idea of strength. Yep. How do I feel I should express this thing? Yep. That's the answer to how you should train it. Yep. Right. And if I can't imagine myself back squatting a fucking jujitsu player and throwing him on his head, I probably shouldn't try to put too much time into expressing a back squat yeah. to a maximal effect. Yeah. So that's a good point that you bring that up because what I ended up also focusing on was how do I explain this? What I started focusing on was the idea of how do I create distraction while still focusing on attention on something? Right. Oh, yeah. So, for example, you know. Um, I, Mel, they were leading into worlds and I had them doing this like banded push pull in a split squat position mm -hmm. and the band is like five feet long bro and it's just yeah. huge oscillation and I started throwing balls at them oh, nice. and they got a catch right with one yeah. hand left hand doing these things and then it's like alright once you're done there you're jumping on the bike and you're, you're, you're holding a high output on the bike for a minute yeah. and then from there you're going to go and hold a chin over the bar hold for 30 seconds or as long as you can go and then we're going to go ahead and, and farmers walk for 100 meters and then we're going to come back and do it all over again, mm -hmm. right? Like what we're doing is in, in, in that manner, what I'm expressing there is I'm actually creating an improvement in how to actually focus, Yeah. right? Like 
and it, it's and I'm doing it in the gym. And when we go back to look at storytelling and the communications aspect, how do we actually create that transferability into their sport? Yeah. That's the magic. Is like I'm doing this because when you're actually now, let's say for example, um, if you watch Felipe fought, uh, fight Mickey Galvan, mm-hmm. yeah, he got his back taken within the first minute, bro. Yeah, put into a like cross collar choke, and like Felipe literally like paused. You could see it paused, looked around, took a breath, and found his way out. Mm-hmm. World class, world champion, fucking yeah. stud. Mickey Galvan and took him and took right. his back and people will be like oh he was injured during that fight or whatever else the dude came out in that first minute and almost submitted Felipe there, there was nothing behind that mm-hmm. like saying he was injured and I, I automatically believe it's because of the fact that I was able to improve his ability it's to focus yeah. and concentration under a high stress you know that's uh, I mean obviously this is the premise for the capacity manual is that we're developing these things like these high amount of attention and I explain it I've explained it a couple of different ways, but it kind of dawned on me uh, when we we're doing, and I remember the session perfectly. It's like 500 calories for time every two minutes. It's a progressive EMOM. Okay. So every two minutes, it starts with like five burpees. And then after the first 10 minutes, it's five burpee box jumps yep. and then higher and higher. So every 10 minutes, it gets to a more complex, more fatiguing, more redlining movement until you finish the 500 calories. So you're looking at like, I need to go hard up front because man, it's going to catch up to me. So I'm my buy-in. So you have like this, you need to be on the, on the, what we'd call on the rivet, right? You're yeah. like just on, on that ridge line. Yeah. Just, just like, I'm not redlining, but man, I didn't notice it until I was, man, I was holding the pace that I wanted. It was going to be sub 35 minutes. So I was excited that I wasn't going to, I was going to finish it. Um, I was calculating all this stuff and it was about halfway into it. So I was, man, I was on, on the ball. I, my effort of how much time I need to recover from the explosive nature of the work, get picking on like how uh, I need 20 seconds to get my heart rate to kind of chill. And then I can drive that pace back up to, you know, 425 Watts. And then would hold that for the rest of the, you know, 120 or something, get back off, do it all again. This whole process, um, it was like, everything's fine. I'm fucking nailing it. And then somebody asked me a question and a lot, everything. I felt like vomiting. I couldn't breathe. I like the numbers dropped down. I was out of whack. It took me three minutes to get my shit back Damn. together and to go, this is what we're training. The ability to pay attention, mm-hmm. right? Like to hold my attention, like capacity is thought of as a container to hold. How much can you hold? And that what you're holding, the intensity is intention, right? Like how hard you can focus on something determines essentially what you can do with it, whether it's a problem you're solving, which is, you know, a physical problem problem or a mental problem. Same thing. Yeah. And, and, and I guess when I started looking at it from that perspective and watching these fights and, uh, professor Julio, I forgot his last name, but he's now the new professor down at crown BJJ. Uh-huh. And I was talking to him. He was like talking to me. He's like, man, I fought Felipe back in 2019 and he was like very slow and, and not very attentive in the beginning mm-hmm. of his matches. And then he would kind of warm up. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, but I watch him now and it's like, it's a, he's on, he's on dude. It's like, boom. And you go. And if you watch worlds this past year, watch Mel and, and Felipe fight. Yeah. They look the same exact way from the first match all the way to their world championship match. That's cool. That it, that's it, right? And, and so, like, what's his back squat? <laughs> I, so let me tell you a story, actually, just recently. So uh, Professor Mike Phelps, he's the owner of Delmar Jiu-Jitsu Club. Mm-hmm. Love him death. I, you know, him and Felipe will train here and there together, mm-hmm. right? And, like, 
Phelps loves strength work. The dude's just a big yeah. dude. He just loves lifting weights. Sure. And I love it to death. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's great. But my job is not to do that for Felipe. Yeah, yeah. But sure. they go and express that together. Yeah. Felipe went and pulled a trap bar deadlift at like 460 something, bro. Yeah, that's good. But I never train. No, no, never. I mean, you're like, eh, you just do a lot of, they do a lot of pulling. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. But also, I think that, I mean, I, so I worked with Hodger Gracie a little bit when we were, we, we exchanged some privates when I was first getting back into jujitsu, okay. which at the time I probably didn't appreciate what was happening. You know, he was, I mean, his, he's just watching him teach jujitsu got me back into jujitsu because yeah. his love for it is that you can't, it's like addictive. You know, it's like one of those attractive features of the universe. Hodger Gracie teaching jujitsu is like, one of the most beautiful things that I've seen. And I was like, man, and I, and I had a prior history with it, but I had never seen it like that. Yeah. And he really like changed it for me. That's awesome. And I immediately was like, okay, I'm coming back to it because I missed something. Yep. And in the exchange, because he did privates uh, for me, I was like, you know, he was preparing to do an MMA fight. And I was like, let me help you with your conditioning. And I helped him and uh, Victor Estima, because who's racing triathlon at the time just for fun, which is great. He's building an aerobic base. Mm -hmm. So Hodger came in and at the time, you know, I was practicing a little bit differently. But one of the fundamental things we were talking about was like, you don't need to like think about these other metrics mm -hmm. as a way that you're getting better. Uh, I could tell him immediately, like his improvement in his system would come by way of like recoverability. Yes. Not necessarily output because the guy had never deadlifted before and he pulled like 525. Yeah. And you were like, holy <laughs> shit. Um, I, like my first thought was like, don't ever do that again. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. It was like, let's not, that's cool. Like, I, I mean, I'm going to remember that forever, how fucking strong he was just like, you know, he hadn't learned how to really, he was learning how to snatch just for fun. And he was throwing up so much fucking, I, it, we were training in London. So it was like, I think he was like hitting 90 kilos for doubles and triples damn. without very much technical ability. And I was like, God damn. And I told him at the time, I was like, dude, you are strong enough. Yeah, you do not, not to be like, stronger. yeah, your thing is recoverability. Your ability to go hard and then figure out how to recover from that. So that's what we worked on. But I think you're, you see these guys that are the best in the world at jujitsu and they're gonna, they have been very physical for decades. So they are going to be strong. Correct. Especially if they're not injured. Yeah. I mean, for example, let's go ask Gordon Ryan what his back squat is for a 1RM. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Like, he's not going to sit there and tell you, oh, I fucking squat 500 pounds. No. But you watch him hold strength in positions, and he's very technical, and he's a strong dude. Yeah, and you're not going to be able to move him. <laughs> no. Yeah, nobody... Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people talk about, is like when he grabs you, it's shocking. Yeah. You know, it's like an unbelievable strength. And I could disagree. I could be like, dude, he's basically doing a bodybuilding program. You know, like mixed with like a lot of very good jujitsu jiu and you're like uh, you i could criticize it all day but there the results are there so yeah. you're like he's obviously doing something right even if he's doing all of the wrong things technically and a lot of people don't understand why that works it sucks because i think a lot of people will try to copy him yeah. so the you know they'll be in the gym doing four sets of 12 bicep curl thinking that that stops them from getting arm barred what i would say is gordon's his intention is very clear about what he's trying to do his concept of strength is also very clear yes so it doesn't really matter how he trains it i also think that a lot of his um training has less to do with performance and it has to more do with a psychological 
part of his game, which he is physically imposing. Mm -hmm. You see that guy, you don't want to fuck around with somebody that's 225 and like, you know, six or 7% body fat. You just like, I don't know what, it, it doesn't mean that you're athletic, but there is this like subconscious feeling that when you see somebody like that, you know that they're dedicated and that you know they're disciplined, and yes. that is actually what you're afraid of. It's, you're, you're afraid of discipline, and, I, and that's a good point that you. That's a good, I guess, a good pers- uh, point to sh- point out because that's exactly what I was trying. That's what I've done with mm-hmm. the team is like improve their confidence to go ahead and walk up on yeah. that mat, and when they look at someone in the eyes, it's game on. Yeah, right. And the other person's like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. It's like, "Oh, you're in my experience now, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do this thing." That, I mean, that is my. That's probably my favorite part about jujitsu, is that is the, um, and I'm terrified of competition. Like I'm doing it because I think it's good for you. But when I go in there, I'm like, man, this is so fucking dangerous. It's, like it's 100 percent is. It's so. But there's so many lessons there. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going because I think that I can beat people. I'm going because it's like a reflection of what you can refine under pressure. And you're like, it, that's what I look at. That's why it's like, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. What matters is like, okay, I can pinpoint what I need to work on and then I can go back and work on it. But the feeling that you get is like, it's incomparable to other sports that I've done. It's ritualistic. It's, um, you're on your own, right? <laughs> you really are. You're, you're like out there. It's like the most far away that I've been mentally is like being under somebody trying to hurt me yeah. and doing just fine and like thriving, being like, yeah, yeah I, like I can protect myself. You know, I feel fucking strong and you can feel when they become terrified. Yes. Right? You, you feel when the energy shifts, when they go, uh-oh, I just made a mistake. And you're like, fuck yes, come here. And then you adapt. Yeah, you, you capitalize on yeah. it. And you're like that whole excitement and the exchange. And you also feel when you fuck up, you're like, uh-oh. It's a scramble. Yeah, I'm okay. Now I'm in survival mode. Now I'm like checklist, checklist. Um, you know, you're surviving, and sometimes it doesn't go your way. And that ultimate smile that you give before you tap is that you, you know, you concede to this like I have improvement to make. Yeah. You know that that is the beauty of that sport, and that's why I think it deserves to have like good minds behind the strength and conditioning. I, that's why I was excited that you're getting into it because honestly, from what I've seen, people applying strength and conditioning to it is fucking garbage. Well, so like that's the thing, right? It's like, oh, for you to be a really good BJJ practitioner, you need to back squat 1.5 your body weight. You need to bench press <laughs> 0.75. You need to deadlift two times your body weight. And I'm like, like, yeah, sure, let's go do it. But let's go put you against someone who doesn't have any of that and who is technically skilled yeah. and has the mental conditioning and the physiology to respond and recover fast enough yeah. on both ends of the spectrum. And let me know how that 1.5 back squat, two times your body weight deadlift fucking does for you. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people get these assumptions and the numbers are like, uh, this is where it's, you're trying to homogenize the experience, yeah. right? Like you're trying to make a checklist so people can feel confidence, but that that isn't real confidence. No. That, that's fake. That's like me being like, yeah, I got all those numbers that was on the list in the jujitsu article that I read. And so I accomplished all that, but you're still losing every match. Then what does that have to do with it? Yeah. You know, if I think we talked about this like years ago uh, about like how strong is too strong, yep. especially in the context of like MMA, because a lot of those guys can get carried away with the conditioning scene. Um, you know, whether it's hitting a tire with a sledgehammer or whatever the fuck yeah. since I've been doing since 2002 or whatever. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Get it, brother. Um, they, they really do like they, 
they're looking for confidence, yep. right? And if I have a number that um, screams capability without me having to say it, I, it gives you a sense of confidence. There was a guy famously that used to train at Jim Jones that um, MMA or Muay Thai fighter. And then he would like the day before a match, he would have to like back squat heavy. Interesting. Right. And it was, it was just like, dude, that is the dumbest thing I've ever, you know, did he win the match? Yeah, he would do. Okay. Because it was more psychological for him. Cool. He wanted to feel strong. And it's the same thing. There's this uh, catch wrestler, really good catch wrestler that ended up doing, he fought in pride. I won't say his name cause it's uh, private, but I, I coached him for some of his conditioning and some of his strength years ago. Phenomenal athlete. Right. Um, they started testing in um, some of the organizations he was going to fight in. And so he had to get off testosterone. You know, he was on like a TRT supplement thing. We're not talking like prolific drug use, but he... It was for maintenance. Yeah, for sure. And so he, man, over the course of a couple months, his numbers started to go down naturally, mm-hmm. you know, but we're talking like minuscule, like... 5%, 2%? Not even. even okay. Yeah, like uh, from he, you know, I think at the time his his best death was like 475. Oh, wow. Right? And uh, we're like, he was not built to deadlift. So this was like a pretty good number for him. Um, and I think he, like one day he tried to pull it and he couldn't and he flipped out. Shit. Yeah. He was like, oh my God, I'm weak. I'm going to lose the fight because I can't even pull my best. And so he really, and I was like trying to walk him through what that meant. Like this doesn't, this is not the thing that you think that is. And I couldn't explain it at the time. And, and uh, his fight fell through. So he didn't end up seeing like what the result was. But I think a lot I don't think he would have done well. Yeah. Because his his mind was attached to these numbers in order to get confidence when in reality he was wrestling with the best wrestlers in the world and dumping them on their fucking heads. <laughs> and you're like no one no one like wins a jiu-jitsu match and also goes by the way I can deadlift, you know, no. 475 pounds. 100%. And so like that's the reason why I got my bachelor's in science and sports psychology mm-hmm. emphasizing performance psychology. Mm-hmm. It was because of the fact in, in Afghanistan at that time in 2010, it wasn't about how strong I was or how, like, yeah, obviously I need to be physically conditioned. I think I just got that through osmosis of doing the job. Mm-hmm. But it was like being able to walk out of patrol at nighttime under MVGs un- mm-hmm. and having the Taliban count your team out every single time. There's no physical attributes that's going to give you the motivation to walk out and do that patrol. Yeah. None whatsoever. That's all mental. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's the same exact thing when I look at someone getting ready to step out on that mat, bow down to each other, and be like, "Let's get it, brothers. Let's let's yeah. just go." That's a mental fortitude. That's a mental willpower of being like, "Hey, I'm agreeing to this thing that mm-hmm. I know potentially might, in a in a in a war fighting experience, yeah. I might die." Mm-hmm. In a jitsu match, simulated death. It's simulated death by yeah. doing what? Tapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am I am, I am I am acknowledging that this is what I'm putting myself into. So we have to go ahead and improve that confidence to put yourself in that position like you just said, right? Yeah. Like you didn't win the match, Mm-mm. but you had the confidence to walk out there and let's let's get it. Yeah. Let's do this. I, I would say that was, <laughs> the confidence was rough that time because it been, it's been years since I've competed in jiu-jitsu, yeah. like uh, b- before COVID. And so they, the skill goes away. It's yeah. a learned skill to be able to calm yourself and approach, you know, a person that you probably haven't met or ever talked to. And there's always like a weird exchange with it that I also really like. Like, I'm obviously like, I'm very nice to like, like I don't want, I want it to be very cool. Like, I don't have to build up an enemy. You know, I meet the guy, I always talk to him. Hey man, where are you from? Like, 
you know, it's cool. Thanks for coming out. Like it, nobody likes to do this or, or if they do like to do it, it's like, you know, it's still scary. So yeah. I always appreciate when people like have the balls to step out and compete. So I always thank them and like try to make it a cool vibe to go into. And then they inevitably try to hurt me. And then I try to hurt him. And it's, it's, yeah. it's always like a fun thing. Um, and I knew, I kind of knew where it was going to go because my confidence was not high. Okay. You know, I, I like, I could feel that I was just there to feel it and, and then make Exposure. adjustments. Yeah, yeah, I was just looking for um, reference points. Mm-hmm. More like a test than like, I'm coming out here to win. Maybe that was a mistake in the first place. And maybe my psychology like led to the outcome, which I think often that it does. But I was at least like pretty honest about it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not important that I win. Therefore, I can like really focus on like just feeling this anxiety and fear and man it's there you're warming up and you're like you're like if you feel it yeah i'm like fucking 130 for two hours before it you know like i've been sweating for hours my forearms are (laughs) pumped and i haven't even grabbed no one's gi yet Exactly, 100 and maybe i got talked into it but it was still it's like it's a phenomenal experience for people to go partake in um and and there's just so much innovation that i think you can do with jujitsu and that's what like this is where it gets kind of fun because it's a fairly new category to apply strength and conditioning to. Yeah, the stuff that we're doing for I'm experimenting with. So Jamie Lavelle, man, people don't know we've worked with him. You know, he worked on a um, 300 Rise of an Empire with us. He flew to Bulgaria. He did like the first prep for them. He's a you know he was a world class soccer player. Uh, before he quit jujitsu, I think this was in like 2012 or 2013, he got second at Worlds as a purple belt. Um, and then he quit jujitsu to focus on other stuff. He we, we inevitably talked him into racing bikes. Within a year, he was category two. He had set state time trials. Like, he's a phenomenal athlete. Little guy. Um, and then two years ago, when I was in jujitsu, he came back in. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Dude's back. You know, they gave him a fucking brown belt because he was deserving of one before he left. Two weeks later, he went to either Nationals or Pan Ams, I can't remember, and took second place. Like Without he, even competing. With, in. Without any... He is just like... He is the most focused individual when it comes to, like, competition. Yeah. yeah it's, he's, like, obsessive with, like, this process. So a lot of things that over the past year I've been telling him, like... Hey man, you're a little guy. Like you are the person that should be doing strength and conditioning. So he's finally been coming in here, and we, we we've been playing with these concepts of like, you know, what I would describe as spherical strength, okay, as opposed to like linear strength. So yeah. if you're tracking how to move a, a load or a weight in one direction, it's linear strength expression. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. Lots of sports are based off of that. Very few are. Mostly, we're changing planes in the expression of sport. Jiu-jitsu, you're generally pushing and pulling at the same time and twisting and extending, right? (laughs) You think about any of these movements, it's multi-planal expression of strength. Therefore, my single modality doesn't really have transferability. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing is going away from a muscle-centered concept. Right, I don't fucking give a shit about muscle. Right, it's a secondary order expression of strength. Uh, tendons and, and connective tissue, yeah, more so because that's that's generally where the limitation is going to be. Yep. And, and if people don't know what I'm talking about, like if you get heel hooked 
either your ankle goes or your ACL goes. Whatever is weakest will snap, right? If my ankles are stronger, my ACL will go. If my ACL is stronger, my ankle will go. And once that, and, and what's really hard is like, it's hard to tap to because you can't feel it. Mm-hmm. Someone gets it and you know they have it and then it pops and you know you're fucked. Yep. So it, it's like a fine line, but here's something like, you could have all the strength in the world, but you haven't actually developed any kind of rotational capacity to the tibialis. So you have like no ability yeah. to internally rotate or externally rotate, but it is biology, It is right? Your biology can adapt to more forces. Now it's less muscular than say a back squat or something like that, where I'm really training myself to hold my spine in a neutral position. And maybe this is like, I'll touch on this later because it really does have to do with like most expressions in strength sports have to do with holding the spine position and moving the legs or hips or knees or whatever. It's extremity to core. Yes. Jiu-Jitsu is kind of the opposite, right? It's like, it's like you need to brace your core to hold your position, but then the expression happens on kind of like a biased rotational force. Uh, That is the biomechanics that I think you were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. Uh, and so, well, how does that look? You're like, well, I need a strong knee and you're like, this isn't sexy, but I really do train my knees. I train my ankles. I train my fucking toes even because the more recruitment that I can get, not just in the tendons, but into the actual joint capsule, the better response I have. And what's funny about this, this slight variation and change, and people will try to wonder and imagine what this looks like to train it. And there's the, the best part is, is there is no way to train it. It's your concept of how to train it. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's no exercise pattern that you can mimic. You can, I can look up how to train X, Y, and Z, and I can copy somebody else's exercise, but that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about conceptually training the joint and the appendages, how you think they should be stronger. Yeah. The side effect of the system is that I actually become more mobile in the system. Yeah. And now you're starting to look at it like, what is jujitsu? When I look at jujitsu, jujitsu is the sport of basically end range of motion. Yeah. Right? I am trying to exploit people's end range of motion. An arm bar is only an arm bar because I take their arm past the point of control and into the point of, you know, you're, snapping. You're no, and you're no longer in control of that arm. Yeah. It's it, literally it controlled as 90 degrees. Yeah. Once it breaks and it's weak, yeah. I'm no longer controlled. It's mine. It's- and so you're protecting yourself against that. And so when I think about the training of like, how would you do that? Well, you practice training strength in the end range of motion. This is a huge no-no in like most strength and conditioning circles, right? Yeah. Man, don't load end range of motion. <laughs> and you're like, where do you think you're going to get hurt? So we, we can break down every joint, every... Every joint has a active range of motion and a passive range of motion. That means I have a place where I can control, activate my joint to, say external rotation, internal rotation, flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, all of these things, retraction, protraction. These are activated with different musculature responsible for it. And then I have the place where I can passively bring it to, which means I lift into external rotation or I have an assistance or a stretch into it. Well, the space, the gap between those two points where I lack control, that's where I get hurt. Yeah. Right. And we see this all the fucking time. I can't even believe I have to tell people this, you know, the blow an ACL, Uh you know, this, this happened recently to a friend of ours. You blow an ACL. What's the PT for it? Generally speaking from your background. 
Um, let's go ahead and put a band around it. Let's go ahead and focus <laughs> on some isometric holds. Yep. Let's go ahead and load it in this manner. Flex, extend. Flex, yeah. extend. Oh, you're going to learn how to like laterally move again. Yep. You're just going to do a bunch of random stuff where realistically all we're, we're not training the joint or the tissue. No, and even worse, like I think I wonder if people can fucking see this. Since we have a video. <laughs> so if I get my if I get my leg and in this picture, right, yeah. and I uh, like they basically the PT will go, oh cool, you have lockout or you have you know you have it's extension and flexion. flexion. Correct. Yeah, right. it's like here to here. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're not fully locked out. We need to keep working this movement yeah. here. Yeah, and then you say, how did you blow that? Did, was it through extension or flexion? And you go, no, an ACL blows through rotational force. Yep. It's internally uh, rotated, right? That blows the ACL. Why aren't you training internal rotation? It's dangerous. No, it's not. <laughs> what? It's dangerous because you don't do it. Like, <laughs> Biology adapts, bro. Like that is the fucking fundamentals of physiology. Yeah. I, you know, I, I tried to tell my mom this the other day because you know, she was getting foot surgery. And they're like, oh, you need orthotics and you need, uh, they're going to pin your foot and don't ever go barefoot. And I was like, does that make sense to you? And I was just, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not a doctor. A podiatrist obviously told you something, but I was like, if I support something with a crutch, does it get stronger? <laughs> no. Right. It atrophies. It 100%. becomes weaker. Right. So why would you put in an orthotic and expect your foot to get better? Yeah. It might alleviate the pain, but it's not ever going to fix the problem. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I, again, I've, I'm not a doctor. Don't take my advice. But also, fuck that person. <laughs> that, what do they do for a living? They sell orthotics. Can you trust that person? No. Well, that, this is, <laughs> fuck no. Right? <laughs> uh, this, uh, it's just a weird. But when I think about it, uh, that concept, coming back to like the strength and conditioning, your body is adaptable. Yep. It adapts to whatever stress you give it. Right. That's yeah. the accommodation. It, I guess that's a good point. So let's like look at the way your body adapts to different style of sports that you play in. Yeah. Right. If I'm a weightlifter, bro, I'm jumping up to 205, 210. Mm -hmm. My legs get big. My shoulders mm -hmm. get big. My upper body gets big. Yeah. Oh, then I'm going to go run a hundred mile race. All of a sudden, my yep. lower things change. I'm just a bike. I'm just a racer yeah. on a bike or I'm a, I'm a triathlete. Exactly. Like, yeah. There's a bunch of changes in there. And I think with the jiu-jitsu athlete, the body type is very wide. Yeah, well, be, do you think because it's like stylistic? Yes. Okay, yeah. I think it's because everyone has their own style that they do play. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, for example, if you're playing a lot of a lot of lasso, mm -hmm. right, you're isometrically holding in this 90-90 position because elbows mm -hmm. are on the ground, you're mm -hmm. here. Now I'm playing in this internal, external rotation of I'm playing push-pull. Yeah. Yeah, of course I'm going to have strong VMOs. I'm going to have a strong hamstring. I'm going to have... You know, you're developing I'm it, developing yeah. it from an isometric contraction. Yeah. So yeah, of course we're going to see that. And I think that was like, that's a big point to like highlight is the fact that like, it's not that we're trying to make you better at your game. Mm -hmm. I think we're just trying to make you stronger and better so that you can express your yes. game. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's storytelling. Yeah, that's true. Right. Like I, I, yeah. <laughs> I told this to Felipe. I was like, Hey man, when you go out there and fight, make it look as beautiful and as, as and artful as possible. <laughs> I mean, as often that's as a coaching cue, I've like told people, Hey, when you do this movement, 
try to impress somebody. Yeah. Like imagine somebody looking at you and being like, fuck yeah. Yes. And you will change because your awareness is now outside of yourself. That is what we call mind expansion. That is a psychedelic effect of training where your mind goes beyond your own, you know, visual cortex and you start to see yourself outside of yourself. Yes. And because of that, you're able to change your movement quality. That's yeah. a great cue. Yeah, dude. Um, you know where I learned that from? Hmm. Killian Jornet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Killian Jornet said this. Try to run beautifully. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he was like, you know, when I run, I'm an artist. Yeah, fuck yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it because, you know, I love movement play. Like, yeah. I'll send you yeah, Instagram. Yeah, sure. Like, hey, bro, we're going to play this thing here, yeah. this movement. And that's all it is, is I'm an artist with, and my paintbrush is my body yeah. expressing movement. Yeah, I think a lot, of, we're not taught. I think you see kids play with that concept quite a bit. All the time. Yeah, you know, they're like, you know, down a squat and they're just kind of like moving weird and maybe it looks silly. You made fun of me yesterday for fucking moving around and to the, Oh no, I, 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 it was a joke though. Yeah, I for know. sure. Yeah. But because every, like I joke about it because every, I'm like, I'm trying to copy George, but you can't because you're doing something. You're, you're expressing yourself in a way that I can't copy. It's, it's George. It's not a homogenized movement. Yeah. Right. And a, a lot of people, you know, when we're doing repetitive stuff in here, we've really adapted. I used to be very much about efficiency and fundamentally trying to like gain efficiency yeah. until I understood like the damage that can come from like accommodation. So we've been really shifting. If we are doing repetitive movements, I try to vary them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So in like, a, you know, we have a workout that's 165 lunges in it, man, I'm going to try to do 164 different lunges. You know, whether that's distance or turning or angles or foot position or whatever. I'm just trying to like each one has to be a little bit different so that I can uh, a express. I can get blood flow and, and contraction rate and movement into more parts of myself. Yeah. And, and I think what you're doing when I watch is very similar. I'm just trying to play with this thing, find rhythm in it, find like how can I tweak it? How can I, you know, you can't. Maybe I'm adding variability. Yeah, exactly. That's but I don't literally think you what can I'm doing. teach it. Do you think you can like? You can teach it. I I have been utilizing this and playing with it with the team. Yeah. Um. And I'll use a masters athlete. She took first at Master Worlds. Uh -huh. And if you watch her World Championship fight in the no gi, she for the past year was having trouble pass to the right. And yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Because it was because her knee. She oh was yeah, yeah, okay. MCO yeah. Issues, mm -hmm. so, or yeah, passing to the right, so she wasn't able to, or and she had a left knee issue, so she wasn't able to knee cut with the left. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so what I started playing around with was a lot of handstand work, like jumping onto your hands, kicking to the left, kicking to the right, oh, shit that we've done together. Yeah, 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 and playing with that, right? That's interesting. Yeah, dude. And I'll show you when we're done here in the yeah. podcast, just like kind of playing. With, you know exactly what I'm talking uh, about. Throwing no, to your hands, sure. jumping yeah. to the left, to the right. Yeah. Dude, it was awesome to watch because she was trying to pass to the right and the girl kept blocking and she was trying to pass to the left and kept blocking. Yeah. So Dulce, her reaction was like, well, she's going to block me this way. I'm going to place my hands here and kick my feet the opposite way and then I'm now in side control. Oh, interesting. And she was never able to do that before. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, because I was able to teach her to express. I'm not sitting there telling you, you have to place your hands on the floor this way. Right. And you have to kick your feet this way. You have to know, hey, I just want you to follow and suit what I'm doing, right? And it's yeah. just like, watch me. Watch me flow. Watch me locomotive. Like, watch me just kind of like move, right? Like, yeah. and then all of a sudden now, they're moving in their own manner, right? And they're like, hey, is this correct? And I was like, that is correct. Why? Because that's your movement expression. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden now, boom, there's a stick game I like to play. Edo Portel does it. Mm. It's where... Balance the stick. The, yeah. it, we, no, it's not balancing the stick. 
stick. It's you and I here, the sticks in the middle, and I'll pass it to you. And the and the principle is, hey, for today, for this first part of the game, we're gonna do ten catches on the left hand, only catching to the lunge to the right. Then we're gonna do ten catches on the right hand, lunging oh, yeah, only yeah, to the yeah, left. Yeah. Now we're gonna go ahead and do this with two hands, squatting. Well, and <laughs> people have made fun of me for this because for the past, like, it is part of our expression of trying to make my hips more mobile. I start. I would describe how to do a hip car by like, oh, it's like the instep, uh, you know, external rotation of the hip looks like you're hitting a hacky sack in front of you. It's an instep, yep. right? And then for the internal rotation, it looks like hitting on a hacky sack on the outside. And then somebody brought in a hacky sack, and I was like, oh, well, fuck yeah, like let's just play hacky sack. And what I noticed is a because it's a game, everybody's paying attention, having a good time. Yes. Everybody's hitting these mobile positions. And because they're hitting it differently every time, the variability is very high. Yes. Plus there's dynamic and intentional motion and there's timing. And it's like, it ends up being one of the most dynamic, like fun yeah. warmups that you can do. Uh, and you don't notice it. Yeah. You know, it's not formal. It's like having a good time. And so I've like, even on my own learning how to like juggle uh, a hacky sack has been like, Oh, man, on my left foot, I can't turn my left yeah, foot to you hit notice it. Those things. So I'm starting to evert and invert my foot. So I'm trying to get more control. So sometimes I'll constrain myself and be like, I can only hit it with my left foot Boom. so that I can develop my non-dominant side, like what you're talking yeah. about. So, and, and I took this from Edel Portel, and mm -hmm. I have to give credit to him, was the isolation, integration, innovation aspect. Mm -hmm. So the idea was, is when I play these games, again, play. Like that's what no one realizes I'm playing with these individuals yeah. or playing these games is I'm going to isolate this first and then I'm going to integrate with this. And now all the principles are just applied. There's no constraints. Do what you want to do for the next five minutes. Yeah. And next thing you know, you start seeing these individuals move in positions that they've never moved before in. Yeah. I say uh, uh, training without play is like working without pay. Boom. I love that yeah. a lot. Yeah. That's that needs to be put on a t-shirt. I know, <laughs> I, because you're like you really you're not like getting the the reason you're doing it is not to do it. the reason you're doing it so you have freedom to like express, ex express it. Yeah, uh, and I don't think a lot of people you know man I just don't feel like going to the gym. I don't. Yeah, of course nobody feels exactly. like doing that, yeah. but no one also feels like working. You do it for the outcome, and if you never get the outcome, eventually I think you learn to enjoy the process. Yep. Right, just like you can learn to enjoy your work and be process driven. But to start with, you really have to like understand why I'm doing this, yeah. you know, and it, maybe that's like running was kind of the first time I ever felt that. Yeah. Where I, you know, I was trying to be in shape, trying to be fit. And then it, man, I started to have fun, yeah. you know, jumping on a trail and me and Aaron would run in Vancouver and you're like jumping over fences and you're like, you know, it's like fairy tale land up in Vancouver. Yeah. And we would just like giggle and have fun running. And we'd be like, fuck, we ran 10 miles because we were laughing the whole time. I'm yeah. jumping over, kicking my feet, doing whatever else. No shit. One time we ran 10 miles up in the Baden-Powell trail and we didn't understand how far we'd gone until it started to get dark. And I looked down, I was like, oh, fuck. We're gonna be in the dark. <laughs> we're six miles in, we gotta head back 100%. here. Hundred percent. We were like super fucking in the dark, <laughs> and it gets dark fast up there. Yeah. It's like we're in the mountains, but uh, play was the whole motivation for that thing. And yeah. that's like, I think you're right. And jujitsu, I think, is play like it's functionally training and play at the same time. Yeah, I think people fuck that up all the time all and take time. it too seriously. But when you, I think you felt today, everybody down there is having a fucking oh, great time. I was actually getting ready to say, Ben, that that brown butt I rolled yeah, with, yeah. he was like, hey, let's play. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, fuck let's yeah. play, dude. Yeah. Fuck yeah, that's what I'm here for. I mean, people that uh, might have been following since like, I don't know, Jim Jones days, Jason South still go. And that guy, no one giggles more than that guy. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> 
He's the scariest motherfucker, yeah. but he's like tickling your feet to get you to tap. And yeah. you're like, this is so ridiculous. I'm an adult man and I'm humiliated, but I'm also having a great time. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Um, and so like that idea of expressing play, dude, I've used mm-hmm. like a lot with individ- with these athletes. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is because they come in so stressed sometimes, dude. <laughs> for sure. Like, they come, like, I've seen Felipe and Mel and, and, and Leticia come in and just, like, just, like, completely trash from training. And, yeah. like, I, I we talked about this earlier, and, and I utilize this training load monitoring system, like, the self-monitoring system mm-hmm. from, like, just the feel perspective. And I use the bog scale yeah. along with duration gives you a training load number. And the higher the number, obviously, the more stress you are. The lower the number, the less stress you are. Yeah. And I use this because it's very subjective first off right it's very to yourself yeah but it creates this awareness of like okay cool i i'm i'm coming in tired already because this is the way i experienced this event this session all right cool well then now with me i need to go ahead and make sure i don't pass that number or even get close to it i need to get 50 percent or less to that number so how do i get the get them to like actually get their nervous system to reset and actually get into a parasympathetic state it's literally through this play aspect. I mean, yeah. dude, I'll tell you what. I had a full-on tr- a taper going into Worlds. Yeah. Guess what I did with it? Hmm. Burnt it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because Monday they came into me like the, before as they're leading into it. And, dude, I was like, all right, I'm going to have you guys hit some sprints. We're going to do some of these things. And they were just like, Burr. And I was like, all right, fuck. Hey, guys. <laughs> Go grab foam rollers. Go grab some lacrosse balls. Yeah. Go grab some PVC pipes. And we're going to move around and play. Yeah, and within twenty minutes, bro. Guess what? Felt better. Yeah. They're laughing. They're yeah. having a good time. And, and now they you, feel like training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now they're ready to train. And I'll tell you what, dude. Felipe, Mel, and Leticia are some of the biggest little kids in the world. Yeah, like the most humble individuals. They're just big kids, man. They're yeah. just and they just love it and they like to play. So like, that's what I've brought in to this 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 space now is this idea of we can play. We can practice, we can progress, and then we can perform. Well, dude, look at what you like. I mean, now that I think about this, it's actually pretty funny because we take our entire strength system, like the scientific application of strength training basically comes from the Soviet system, right? What we're talking about, um, you know, Verkochansky and all these like Russian sports scientists that really developed and studied because, A, they had state sponsorship and to Russia, to the motherland, proving that you were like the ultimate. The government was behind it. Yeah, hundred percent into the doping too. But, but the uh, but for whatever reason, and I don't care about that. What's interesting about it is like, if you have you ever read like Dostoevsky or like in Russian literature? Okay, no. it's very fucking serious. Okay, right? They they joke, but this is really serious. If you read Russian literature, a happy end like. A happy ending in like a Russian novel is kind of like, and then everybody died. <laughs> and you're like, that's like, fuck. Everything is like very serious, serious in that yeah. culture. And when you look at training, it's very formal training is so serious. You see like power lifters who are like lovable guys go in and they're like, everything is dark and everything is like, it's like a fucking the worst working environment yeah. ever. And you wonder why there's no longevity to it because they're very rarely playing. They look at it like, gotta get, I've gotta like take everything so serious. And I really do think that it's kind of like trickle down from that Russian system. system yeah. it, you know, them proving that they were the dominant culture was a very serious act. It was yes. like, 
it was the exist their whole existence yeah. and what we've taken is not just their information but we've taken that attitude towards that training but you look at you know percy sarity or like any of these original coaches before this system and they were running coaches other coaches of other types everybody's fucking around yeah. everybody's playing he would like run hills for fun he'd be like look how i can run up the hill different everything was kind of a joke and it could have been like you know, if it wasn't an expression of having fun, it wasn't training. Yeah. And you're like, once you foster that difference in your mind of like, how can I have fun and get this work in? Yeah. You know, then you will start seeing these massive shifts in your performance. Yeah. Because it's not work. It's not serious. It's yeah. not it, the stress score goes down. Yeah. And I think that's the big piece there is like the, the your perception to your training load. Mm. Right, like if our perception to our training load or our training session is high, what is your body going to respond to? Yeah, which then takes longer to recover from. Yeah, right. And I and I really love the fact that like we've been able to kind of dive down this part of play mm -hmm. because it's something that I've talked about, and I don't think I've talked about it quite a bit in the public. It's more like in mm -hmm. private conversations, and I, I and that's kind of what my sessions are like when you train with me for yeah. like well, for it's sure. play. That's a, the first thing Aaron said yesterday. I said, God, I miss George here. It's so fun to train with him. Yeah, you know we're doing a fucking hard <laughs> workout, but you're having a great time. Yeah, it's I not love training. Yeah, it's not like. It's not, and that's the same thing with Devin. Devin is just like, he's so into it and he's so aggressive with everything, but he's also smiling the whole time. Yes. And you're like, this, and that's how I kind of pick my, I mean, I talk about this a little bit, but I went and trained at AOJ a little bit. Uh, and they have, dude, Tynan is such a fucking phenom. Like, just studying with him a couple hours, you pick up shit in details. They are so methodical. And then I, I will stay and like watch their competition class and I'll stay and watch like some of the other instructors and you're like, they're in for, obviously they have world champions there. They have some of the best people in the world there. I do not want to train there. Yeah, it's too serious. Dude, it's like a Chinese fucking military complex. <laughs> and nobody said, they're just like, everybody is stern what you try to, hey, what's up? And it's like, fine. Like, dude, I'm a did someone suck the life out of you? Yeah. And like I said, like when I'm in California, like if I'm down south, like I'm always looking for a jiu-jitsu to drop into. And then uh, Bear from Shoyu Roll invited me to go to Kondekoma. And I'm like, cool. And it's like strip mall jiu-jitsu. And I walk in and there's like everybody's listening to reggae and high-fiving. And you're like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I don't care. Nobody competes there. They're all there for I mean, there's fucking killers there, obviously, because... They got some people, yeah. but it's like, you know, um, shout out to the fucking whole entire gym because they've done a phenomenal gym. I want to say his name's Chris, but uh, he he just fosters the right energy. And that makes a difference because his idea behind why to train like this has such more sustainability behind it. Yeah. And, and I think that same thing like my idea behind training strength is about sustainability yes and longevity yeah that's all it has behind so when people train that that's what they should feel because that's the energy and intention yeah. and the story that we're telling behind it yeah. I, i'm not doing you know i'm not doing these like maximal effort eccentrics on internal hip rotation because i need a 500 pound back squat by next week I'm doing them because when I'm 60, I want to be able to run. Yep. When I'm 70, I want to be able to walk fast. I want to be able to jump. I want to be able to still lift weights. You know, I see Keegan's dad, and he has fun when he trains. Oh, yeah. And he's 70. Dude's a fucking monster. monster. Yeah. He's crushed it. And I think going back to the beginning of the of the, of the storytelling podcast that we've had so far this far into it, you know, how do we keep someone at the apex? Or how do we keep someone at the peak? 
Keep the stoke high. You got to keep the 100% maximal stoke. <laughs> maximum stoke, right? Like I told you. I Just expose him to Devin. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, brother? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, though, dude. Hey, like, hey. That's the thing, though, dude. Is like That's literally what I'm trying to do with these individuals is develop this longevity through enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. And that doesn't come from reps and sets and no. back squatting 500 <laughs> or pulling a deadlift. No, it's like, hey, let's have fun with training. Like. Yeah. We're alive, we're breathing, we get to do this thing, we want to do this thing. It's not like you have to do it. No one's putting a gun to your head and saying, no. you have to lift this weight and you have to compete this way. No, no one is. No. Do, do you think that was like a big part of the success on the in so far is that um, by going back to your original intention and being like, let's reduce pain, right? Because when you reduce pain, you increase the kind of the uh, the opportunity for enjoyment. Yes. Right. If I'm not thinking about, uh, and once you alleviate that, you bring them back to maybe why they originally first liked it, yeah. which is fun. And now because they're having fun and they're not getting injured, they can train more. They train harder. They train more frequently. And now the expressive tool is basically strength and conditioning didn't necessarily like add two inches to my vertical or a hundred pounds to my squat or any of these boring metrics that really have no transferability, but they increase my enjoyment immeasurably yes. by reducing the amount of physical pain I was in. A hundred percent. Like that's, yeah. that's was the, and I think I learned that because I was in pain for so long. Yeah. I feel you. Like I was just yeah. in pain for so long, man. I've, 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 I've snatched almost close to 300 pounds, clean yeah. and jerk like 360. Like, yeah. I was in a lot of pain then. I didn't oh have God, fucking fun. I didn't hurt have all fun. the time, dude. I yeah. didn't have fun at all. And I actually had a conversation with Keegan about ultra endurance running. When I was running my first 100, 200 mile race, like the first 100 mile races that I was doing and training and mm. doing all that stuff, I didn't have fun either yeah. because I was like, I was mentally in pain. Yeah. Not physically, but mentally in pain. I didn't have fun. Like it was, mm. it, I dreaded tying my shoes. Yeah, I dreaded going out and doing this thing. And so you're saying that it wasn't physical pain. What like uh, this have to do with kind of mental health stuff? I, maybe mm -hmm. I, I think so. I think a lot of it was one of those things where I was trying to chase something, and like utilize my body through running to find it and for, for recognition or 100 percent yeah. yes. And I'll be honest with you, I was trying to run a Tahoe 200 in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I got injured at San Diego 100. Still finished the race like 27 hours or something like That's that. That's good. Yeah. I was on on I was on pace of sub 24. Oh, fuck. Fucking mile 70, I rolled my ankle, dude, and like my left calf blew up. It was bad, dude. And I started fucking power hiking the rest of the time in. Yeah. And I was expecting to like I was like looking forward to running that back end strong. Yeah. And everything else like that. And like that then was one of those things where I was like not having fun anymore. Mm -hmm. I got back, got it worked on. Savannah was pregnant, and it was like a switch of like. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Right? Like, am I doing this for notoriety? Right? I want to be the top level ultra endurance coach in the world. And I look at it, I look at the Jason Coops and the Invoke Endurance of the world, and they're so serious. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to be that person. Or I look yeah, at for sure. the weightlifting worlds of the coaching app, of the, and you look at some of the weightlifting coaches in the, in, in the space are very serious. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. The same thing in the CrossFit world. Like, yeah. I was at semifinals because I have an athlete who I've been working with for seven years, bro. And we've made semifinals or regionals every year together. Mm -hmm. She's 35 years old, getting ready to go Masters next year. And her and I are having a great time. Yeah. And everyone else in there, bro, is super serious, <laughs> energies, whatever. And I'm like, oh. That's stale as fuck. Ugh. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. And then, you know, I go pace athletes at ultra marathon races and like everyone's having fun now. Yeah. And it's because of this idea that 
they're not dreading to go run. They're not looking for notoriety. They're not doing whatever else. And that was what I was trying to do. It was like, I'm trying to beat my chest and be that dude. And yeah. today it's like, no, like that's not what I'm trying. Like I can, like at the end of the day, it's like, I can give two shits less if someone knows that I'm Felipe Andrews fucking strength conditioning coach. Yeah, for sure. Right. Or that I coach semifinal athletes in CrossFit or I have a strong number of ultra endurance athletes who are doing some awesome things right now or fitness enthusiasts who are living a high quality life. Like I, it matters to me, yeah. but it's not my full identity. No, it's basically a side effect of enjoying yourself. That's it. And I think the past three, three years, honestly, dude, when COVID hit and our, our mm-hmm. the time here with you guys, and that, like you said, skill trade and mm-hmm. how we learn that really opened the doors for me to like really find myself and like, no, you just be George. Yeah. Just be the hardcore kid who used to love going to hardcore shows at the age of 14, 15, and 16, fighting invincible ninjas, listening to music. <laughs> fucking backflips and, and Backflips and kicks and somersaults. Like, that's just who I am. Yeah. Right? That's I'm just that kid. That's, and, and you know what? I'm just doing it in a responsible manner. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's really just what it is. And, and, like, that's what I'm trying to express with the individuals that I work with is, like, have fun with this. I told this to Keegan too, going back to the running aspect. I run now. I haven't ran. I haven't ran any ultra marathon races since 2019. Yeah. I ran the recon challenge multiple years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know what's the hard part about tying my shoes now? Hmm. Is finding the time to get out and run. Yeah, oh, for sure. That's that's the only difference now. It's not that I don't look. I'm not dreading. I want to go run. Yeah, same. I, I like. I love yeah. like. Last that's one. Week, of, that's like the saddest thing on my. It's like, man, I wish I had more time for like endurance stuff. Yeah, because I do miss being out there. Because especially now that mostly my long efforts are gonna be like mountain biking or yeah. something like that. But man, it's hot. Like fuck, when? when? Right. Like today, my buddy hit me. My buddy Easy was like, "Hey, let's go hit Fiverrhorn today." And right. I was like, bro, I don't have the time today to go five hours in the mountains. Today. Yeah, right. like, I wish I did. Yeah. Right. I have I had a couple of phone calls like or whatever else in yeah. the morning. Then we had jujitsu and then I had this going on. It's like, I just don't have time to get out and do it. Yeah. I, and I think you see it. I see it like, um, especially in ultra athletes, because, you know, they, I think to start, they really do do it to have an experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the fear of not completing or not living up to the expectations. And we talked about this a little bit about these, like these very powerful words that are kind of filler, but kind of are responsible for all your like societal, maybe conditioning, like should and on, they start, you should finish this thing and you should be a winner and you should be, they take over the entire psychology of why you went out to experience this in the first place, which I think if you take like Dean Carnassus's thing, he's like, you know, you want to, you know, experience fitness, you run a mile, you want to experience, um, like your mental state, you run a marathon. If you want to experience God, you run a ultra or something like that. And that's <laughs> straight up, bro. <laughs> that's str- that's probably true. Like I, I, you know, I've only done like some, a couple very long things, yeah. uh, and nowhere near and generally on a bike, but that is, there's some aspect to that. Th- I that see is the Holy true. Spirit every single time I hit mile seventy, right. and I got thirty more miles <laughs> yeah, to right, go. Exactly. <laughs> but I think a lot of the times, um, the only real failure there is a failure to enjoy that process. Even though, obviously it's painful. Obviously there's like hardship, and otherwise you it wouldn't be worth it. Correct. You know, or it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a, a selective thing yeah. that everybody would do it if it was easy. But because the seriousness of like and the fear of getting injured i think your whole psychology changes and then the whole endeavor changes because your intent is different and then you just watch people kind of like lose the original reason why they Mm -hmm. did it and that that's where you run into man there's no longevity in that 
you know mine was the opposite dude. i didn't get to go i like crossfit mm-hmm. weightlifting ultra endurance all of that stuff was realistically chasing something mm. it wasn't for fun in the beginning i didn't have it was more of just me trying to prove myself yeah, I could see that. I, I maybe I was lucky. I man, cycling. I would say I was trying to prove myself. You know, especially originally when I was like, okay, this oh, is yeah. like, I have to win. I have to do this, and I should because I'm fit and I've had these numbers. And when you didn't, because it's bike racing and it's chaotic, you know, you'll do eighty races a year, and you might win one or two if mm-hmm. you're fucking good. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're really good, you'll win through. But eventually, when you get to the top level, you're back to the same numbers. You know, you're like, <laughs> everyone is the same as good. It's just a different just tier, tier yeah. different decimal points, I guess you could say. Uh, but for the most part, I think by the time I had found CrossFit, I was just pure enjoyment. Yeah. It was like, man, this is fun because I'm working out and like I wish I had that on deal. a stage kind of deal. You're like, everybody's looking at me working out and yeah. it's cool. No, yeah. dude. I mean, I've competed at OC Throwdown. Yeah. I've competed oh, yeah. at those levels, you know, and like yeah. I didn't have like fun. I look back and I was like, man, I wish I would have had more fun in that experience. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't get to. And like now, you know, I have a lot of fun training jujitsu, going out for runs working out like yesterday like we did you know like i haven't done a mixed modal workout like that dude i don't know how long oh yeah and like just drop right back into it bro yeah just fun muscle memory right it's in my dna but it's because it's just training i've been doing a lot of swimming lately i've been doing like fucking 3k in the pool for fun oh really oh dude i love swimming bro i just don't like chlorine no it's for me bro i'm just like it's it's i'm a i'm in water sign Yeah, yeah yeah so i just love the the water and that's something. That, and again, I'm also now playing in the ocean more again. I it, I used to avoid the ocean because when I was in the reconnaissance marine. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, <laughs> change your perception of the ocean. <laughs> Poseidon doesn't like recon marines, bro. He loves Navy SEALs. He doesn't like recon marines. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um, but I love playing in the ocean now. I just love playing, and that's all it is now, right? Like yeah. yesterday, like I came, like I was like, smoked from the past two days of doing work with tack gas. And I was like, man, I'm tired. We yeah. played hacky sack for 30 minutes, dog. Oh, man. And <laughs> I was like, prime, nervous system's awake. I was like, let's roll, dude. Like, <laughs> let's just have some fun today. We've, we've had days where we've like canceled classes and just played <laughs> hacky sack. This happens like probably way too frequently, oh, dude, it's man. so good. But yeah, I have it like, man, or someone's on a tear or the right people show up and we're like looking around. You're like, guys, want to train? Because there's stuff to do, and they're like, uh, "But you are training." We are, and and that that's like a two or three hour session of hacky sack is fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. You feel your hips the next day. You're like, "I'm wrecked." Yeah. So it's not like it's a freebie, but it is. It's like so easy to fall into that because it's fun. Yeah. You're like having so, you're laughing your ass off, or people yeah. are trying different things. Yeah. You know, obviously we've gotten very tricky and. We're, oh yeah, I think we're trying to kick handstand, kick the like donkey kick or whatever yeah, yeah. else, and like yeah. stuff like that. Well, I got a handstand stall. Oh, yeah. So everybody like since I got the first one, people have been trying to handstand stall, nice. and it was a total accident. I call it a prison wallet stall because I handstood and then it stalled right on my taint, like in between my legs, and I caught it, and it was a total kind of like freak accident, but it looked too perfect. Oh, it was. And like... So it's like everybody. <laughs> on the ground i was laughing so hard and ever since it's been like people trying to copy it but i wish i could do it on purpose but like there's another point you just point out laughter like laughter is probably one of the greatest things for us 
Oh, for sure. Um, Medicine, for sure. Dude, straight up. And that's something that I find, like, again, like, working with individuals. Like, let's have fun and let's laugh and let's play and let's, like, express ourselves. And honestly, man, the past three years, I don't know if I've laughed as much as I've laughed today. Yeah. Like, laugh now, right? Like, I love comedy. Yeah. I'll sit there and just laugh. And that's, that's that's a part of rest for me. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, dude, I think, I think at the end of the day, man, when it comes to it and like where I'm at in my journey as a, as a strength conditioning coach or performance coach is like, I just want to bring enjoyment back to the individual who doesn't have enjoyment anymore in it. Yeah. That's kind of, that's pretty interesting. I, I mean, I, I, the, like the last couple of years, I, I think in our circle, um, have been like super heavy, you know, there's mm-hmm. like obviously a lot of shit that has happened. Yeah. Um, but I think the one, and I, I can feel it coming back because, you know, Aaron's laughter comes back. Yeah. Right. And, and Matt said the same thing the other day. He's like, I've just been, I haven't laughed. You know, I haven't like, I haven't like been enjoying myself. And he's like, and that, like, that lets me know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, and we get, you know, we get caught up in it too. It's not like we're all joking all the time and we like control this stuff perfectly. Dude, everything feels so serious. Everything's on the line. It's your business. It's like these deadlines. I have to like do website shit. I get emails about shipments being wrong on accident or something not being out on time. And it's really easy to get caught up in this like pressure that doesn't really matter. Yeah. It does because you it's, reputation. It's, there's significant and, work to be done. For sure. And you have to be responsible. You have to get that stuff done but not at the expense of like your overall enjoyment of the entire experience. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, bro, like that's been the biggest piece. I think, um, you know, after resigning from soft Lake, dude, like, yeah, I like got my, my happiness back. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Like I've had a few people sit there and tell me and they're like, that's cool, bro. You're like, you look lighter. Like yeah. you no longer are carrying this, like this, like non laughter thing or this non happiness thing. And that was what I was missing. Yeah. I would like to say that, I think we're responsible for people quitting their jobs. Uh-huh. <laughs> We've said this multiple times on podcasts and I was always that one person in the corner who was like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I love yeah. you to death, but I can't quit my job yet. <laughs> Not yet. And luckily, yeah, and you're right. Dude. Like it's, it, it is a big part of that. Like you guys are family. It's a big piece of why I am where I am today, who I am today and like where we are. And like I said that to Savannah the other day and she's like, how's, how's Aaron and, and Michael doing? I was like, babe, they're they're laughing they're having fun they're like like it's coming back around you know like it's the energy's flowing again i was like it feels so good yeah i mean i'm bummed that you're not here anymore i mean i said like it's hard you don't realize it until people come back and oh yeah fuck man we had so much fun but also i'm pumped that you're doing well yeah you know it's like it's really cool to watch people leave here and accelerate you know i and i like that I think if, and you would say the same thing for athletes, like uh, Mark says this all the time. Uh, and I think like a lot of uh, funny enough, like the things that Mark's involved with, everybody thinks he's so serious, but he's generally having a good time. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like playing music and fucking like, I think people mistake his articles and the serious yeah. nature about, and they think that that's his demeanor, but it's really not. Yeah. He's like, this bright character who's always ha- like enjoying himself. He's a know? lighthouse, bro. For sure. Uh, for sure. And I think uh, he said this and it's always stuck with me when he's like, when people leave here, I want them to leave up. You know, I want yep. them to like leave on the, it, not down. They don't crawl out of here. They leave kind of like feeling like they're walking on air, whether it's too con- It doesn't mean their legs aren't smashed. They haven't had hard work, but they're leaving feeling good about their experience yep. because that's what gets them 
uh, to keep doing the things that they need to do. I would say come back, but that's not the point. The point isn't to come back. The point is to leave and experience things. Yeah. Uh, and because we practice that, I, it makes me sad when people come here and I like them and then they leave. But the whole point is actually to go experience things. So yeah. I'm pumped to see what you're doing. Um, and, and obviously developing ways that, you know, yeah. are fucking cool. Dude, and, and I said this to Savannah last night too. I was like, hey, I want to fly back out here and hang out with oh, for sure. the crew. Yeah, I was like, we're putting the band back together. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like people listened to this back in 2020 and saw what we were doing then and saw yeah, much right. fun we were doing. Dude, we're putting the band back together. Yeah, and like, sure. It's a very slow process. Yeah. Um, the energy is building. Like you said, we're learning to honestly, truly believe in ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think that has just been an accumulation of time with each other and separated and just kind of bouncing back and forth. And maybe that's the contrast that we do need. We talked about that before heading out was, yeah. or before we started this podcast was we need both sides. We need contrast Yeah. to for allow sure. for us to be grateful and appreciate those things. Yeah, for sure. So, well, dude, come back anytime. I'll always have these uh, sit downs for you. Hell yeah. I'll always roll. I appreciate yeah, you coming dude. out. Do you oh. want to, uh, where people point people to where you're at so people can find you? Cause you're not a soft lead. Yeah. Um, you had like, obviously a ton of experience working with military uh tactical law enforcement but also ultra endurance yeah, crossfitters, crossfitters pretty much everything across I mean, the gambit and now brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah now that dude um so i'm bringing back gb3 athletics so if anybody's been following me since 2000 fucking 11 12 13 all mm -hmm. the way up to this time period i used to run gb3 athletics mm -hmm. um so i'm bringing it out of the closet and rebuilding the business now nice. um so i'm gonna be launching the business here in the next couple of weeks i'm gonna be running all blog programs subscription wise i'm still doing remote coaching nice. um but i'm also bringing an educational piece to it dude yep. i want to really start educating individuals on to like i said bring that enjoyment back to fitness and how to apply it to life um so like i said you're going to be able to find it under gb3athletics.com and that's it. the website's not complete yet um we will be probably in the next couple of weeks um social media all those good things dude but again they can catch me on social media still they can reach out that way and i can navigate everyone in that manner um other than that though man like <laughs> it's it's pretty much the same i'm no longer i'm just not flying the softly banner no more i'm flying yeah. my own banner Hell yeah. um and it's 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 interesting because there's a lot of people that are like really supportive behind it mm -hmm. that I would never thought would have been supportive behind it. Yeah, for sure. That's that's the crazy part about it, and well, that's been cool, dude. I'm pumped for you. So yeah, I'll send people your way. Um, doing, if, if people want to catch up with you you're in San Diego, yeah, you're based out of there, but we'll have you back here anytime. Yeah, dude. Thanks, awesome. brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Yep.